number of building projects recorded in Scripture. Uh, you know, you got the Tower of Babel, where they decided to build a tower to heaven. They wanted to be like God. They, you, you got that one. You got Noah building an ark. You have Israelites building walls for Egypt when they were slaves. You have the building of the Ark of the Covenant, the building of the tabernacle, building of the first temple. You have Nehemiah rebuilding city walls. You have Zerubbabel building that second temple and then Herod expanding it. You have wise and foolish men building homes on sand or rock. You, you even have God building a church. And so you have these building projects that are randomly found throughout Scripture. And there were also a number of biblical analogies to construction. So not only in the construction process itself, but also in the, the cost for a project and, and even raising money and gathering materials. And so I will just pause there to put everyone at ease. I'm not standing up here trying to fundraise today. Take a deep breath. I don't want anybody being like, whoa. When something was the will of God, he would send the right people with the right expertise, provide the resources, usually through the people, and then he would bless the finished product. Now, at Refuge, we believe God has already given us the vision to build. We counted the cost. We consulted with wise counselors. He sent us the right people to help us. And now God is using his people to provide resources. And it, we will soon start construction. We're hoping to break ground in spring. And one day soon, the favor and the blessing of the Lord will fall on that location just like it continues to fall on this location. I emphasize the phrase just as it does here, just as it does in this location, because sometimes people will wrap up God and buildings, and they get wrapped up in that way too much. They connect God to buildings. Certainly, God meets with people in buildings that are set aside for a divine purpose. But we must always remember this. God uses buildings, but he does not need buildings. What we just felt right here, it might have been a little uncomfortable, sun, cold, warm, but we could feel that in the parking lot. God uses buildings. He does not need building. A building is just a tool that the Lord uses as another meeting place to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and change lives. This is why we are building a new facility. We want to make more room to, for God to do just that, to change more lives and to fill people with his spirit. So by no means am I saying, you know, if you're here and you signed up to make a pledge to the campaign. I don't want you to say, he said buildings are important. I'll just tear this thing up. Just sit tight for a second, okay? Remain faithful. Why? Because we're taking, we're, we are counting on those pledges as we're designing that floor plan that you're about to look at. So when someone says, no, I'm making a decision to not pay that now, well, that floor plan, we have to start to eliminate pieces of that floor plan because that pledge is paying for that floor plan. But at one point in his life, King David decided that he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. He had been a man of war his entire life, and now things were settling down. Israel was blessed. David was personally blessed. And as we read the opening, as, as we read this opening passage, notice that it was not God telling David to do something. 
But David made a decision that he was going to do something. So take a look at 1 Chronicles 17.1. It says, when David was settled in his palace, he summoned Nathan the prophet. And he said, look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace. Imagine if you had a cedar palace today. <laughs> cedar is pretty expensive right now. I'm living in a beautiful cedar, but the ark of the Lord's covenant is out there in the tent. Because in the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle, and that was in a tent. So he's looking around, and rightfully so. I think this is admirable. David's going, I am living in this beautiful palace of cedar in the, 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 the Old Testament tabernacle, that tabernacle that was where God would dwell between the wings of the cherubims, the fullness of God in between those, those wings and meet with the high priest. He said, he's out there in a the tent. This don't feel right. And today, for just a little while, I want to speak on this topic, project or purpose, project or purpose. Would you pray? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for what you've already done. You, I mean, we, we felt your power and your presence so strong, and I pray that people online are also feeling what we're feeling here today. But God, right now, your word, I believe that our worship has prepared the way for your word, that your word now is going to impact our lives, and your word is going to speak to us, God. So help us, Lord. Help me as the person who's standing in this pulpit to allow you to flow through me. In your name I pray, amen. You see, David's thoughts turn to building a temple, and he sends for Nathan the prophet, and he, and he says these things, and, and this is admirable. And, and so when he calls for that prophet, look what Nathan says in 1 Chronicles 17, 2. It says, Nathan replied to David, do whatever you have in mind. God is with you. But that's that, that, that same night, God said to Nathan, sometimes, you know, it makes sense to the man or woman of God. And they're just like, yeah, it makes sense. Do it. But then God steps in and he says, uh, do me a favor. Go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. You are not the one to build a house for me to live in. I have never lived in a house. Check this out. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this very day, my home has always been based in a tent, moving from one place to another in a tabernacle. Yet no matter what, where I have gone with Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's leaders, the shepherds of my people. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a cedar house? So God begins to make it clear, I don't need a house. Other religions of that day, they would build great edifices, great tabernacles and temples for their God. And a lot of times their God would sit on a shelf. Could you imagine I mean, could you imagine, right? This is still happening in the world, by the way. We would go and spend all the money that we've been raising to put together a massive temple and put our God up on a shelf. That's what the gods of ancient days would do, and they would worship this, 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 this statue, and I say this, it could be a larger statue, and the one true God, he wanted to make it clear, he's like, no physical building is going to house my fullness. They couldn't just put him on a shelf in a beautiful, beautiful facility. He wouldn't be limited to that building, and his power would not be defined by how that place looked. 
But look what he goes on to say. He says, now in verse 7, go and say to my servant David, this is what the, the, the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people of Israel. He's speaking to David. And he says in verse 8, I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I will, I've destroyed your enemies before your eyes. I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth. God reminds David something. He says, I have been with you wherever you have gone. And for us, God's blessings are not limited to this building. God's blessings will not be limited to the next beautiful building we're getting ready to build. God's blessings are not going to be limited to the building after that one when there's growth and expansion. It reminds me when Abraham looks at his nephew Lot and they had gone together and then they're, they're, both their flocks had gotten too large and too big. And they said, you know what, it's time for us to split up. And Abraham, he looks at his nephew and he says, hey, we got to split up. We, they're, they're starting to be quarreling and, and we're running out of space. We're, you know, you got flocks that are too large. I have them. We need watering holes and we need food and pastures. And, and so we need to go separate ways. And he says to Lot, he says, which way do you want to go? And, and, and Abraham lets him choose first. And sometimes I think that we get nervous. I get this all the time. And people mean well. This is, not a, this is not making fun or this is not jest. But people will come to me sometimes and say, which way should I go? What should I do? You know, you might have a job offer or you might have a, and I appreciate, especially if somebody's going to move across the country. As a pastor, I don't want to control someone's life, but I love you and pray for your family. I would certainly love to have a voice in that decision to say, let me pray and see if I hear anything from God. But oftentimes when someone says, what, what, what house should I move into or what, what, what job should I take, that sometimes I think, or what person should I marry? Listen, if, if something does not contradict the principles in the word of God, if this person loves and serves God with all their heart, and this person loves and serves God with all their heart, if that job is not going to pull you away from God, if that house is not going to pull you away from God, I am of the belief that there's not just one magical thing for everybody. There's one magical house. You've got to find it. There's one magical job. You've got to find it. And I would even say where some people disagree with me, there's one magical person. You've got to find that person. A lot of it is just, God, I'm going to keep you first. You told me in Matthew 630, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If I keep you number one above everyone and everything in my life, my blessings are not dictated on me going through the haystack and finding the needle. Abraham was not like, I'm stressed. Oh, God. I, Lot, I, I've been searching. I've been Googling how much, what's the median income of these different areas. And, and, and I think the median, it seems like the school system is better over here. Abraham looks at Lot and says, choose wherever you want to go. I'll go the opposite direction. Aren't you afraid that you'd choose the wrong place? Aren't you afraid that your kids might not? Aren't you afraid? To, what? Aren't you scared? Abraham didn't seem nervous in the least little bit. He said, Lot, you choose wherever you want to go. I'll go the opposite way. Because Abraham obviously understood my, me, my relationship with God, the blessings of God are not dictated on my location. Right now, some of you are so blessed and I love that you're in liberty and you're so blessed. But you could be blessed in Honolulu. Hallelujah. 
I want to plant churches, and if this snow continues, I might start the first one in the Hawaiian campus. And I know I have about 160 people coming with me. You could be blessed in Austin, Texas, and Dallas. You could be blessed in Boise, Idaho. You could be blessed in China. You could be blessed in Naples, California, Florida. You could be blessed in South Carolina. You could be blessed in Maine. Because, it, because when, when you say, hey, you choose where you got to go, because if I keep you first and I align my life with biblical godly principles and I walk in your way and I don't waver, my blessing is not based on what my current address is or my current job is, my title. I can say, God, I'm blessed because you are the one that blesses me and I have you first in my life. So Abraham, he wasn't concerned about, where am I going to live? Where am I going to construct a home? What's my address going to be? What's the school system? What's, where do I offer sacrifices? He said, I walk with God. That's why I'm blessed. And Refuge Church, God has walked with this church through a lot of things over the last 40 years. And his hand has been upon us. And now his, he's been blessing this building on Sundays at 10 a.m. And guess what? He's now blessing this building on Sundays at 2 p.m. And based on what I just said about last night, he's blessing this building on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. He blesses this building on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If we moved it to 6 p.m., his blessings would still be here. If we had a 6 o'clock on Sunday night service, his blessings would still be here. If this building burned down, God forbid, and we met at the community center in the community center theater. If we rented the theater across from Culver's. His, if we went to a casino and said we're going to have our church in that, in that hall. God's blessings would still be upon us. And he's getting ready to bless us at a new building in a new facility because his blessing is not limited to a location or a time frame. I believe that God is here to remind someone watching online, in person, listening today, exactly what he told David. And here's what he's saying to you. I have been with you wherever you have gone. Now, David could look back and say, yeah, but I had some good times. Were you with me then? Yep. Yeah, but I had some tough times. Were you with me then? Yep. Well, well, I mean, people were, I remember Saul, he was chucking javelins at my head, and I was running from cave to cave. Where were you? I was getting you ready for this very moment. Yeah, but I remember I, I was doing, I remember when I took that sling and that Goliath and that giant went down. Yep, I was there too. There are some of you that you've had some things that you could say, I remember that day. And it brings a smile to your face. I remember that day. Oh, I'll never forget that day. And there's other things that you go, oh my Lord, I would never want to live through that again. That is brutal. That was terrible. That was one of the worst days of my life. And God's saying, like he said to David, I have been with you wherever you have gone. And in this church, we're not only in our second campaign, 
But next week at that annual business meeting, I'm getting ready to show you the final floor plan. And I'm going to show you the exterior design. And, 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 and soon we're going to have a short service over there and on the land. And it will be an outdoor service with a tent. And, and we're going to have a breaking ground ceremony where you take fancy pictures with hard hats on. And that's going to be fun. we got so many exciting things coming. But in the midst of all the exciting stuff, I want us to be intentional about focusing on this. Purpose over project. Purpose over project. Because read on to what God tells David as he desires to build the temple. In 1 Chronicles 17, 9, it says, I'm going to provide a homeland for my people, Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people in Israel, he says, and I will defeat your enemies. Furthermore, I declare that the Lord will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and join your ancestors, I'll raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He's the one who will build the house, a temple for me, and I will secure his throne forever. I'll be his father and he'll be my son I will never take my favor from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you. I will confirm, he's referring to Saul there. I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time. And this, his throne shall be secure forever. Now, can, as you're reading this, you're just reading this thinking about David's story. But if you were a parent and God started telling you this about your child, that would be a pretty good day, wouldn't it? So Nathan went back and David and told David, this was God speaking to Nathan, and Nathan's trans, transferring the message to David, and he told him everything he said, and God gave him. David considered God's word as a tremendous blessing that affirmed his son would also serve as king. God even said, I'm going to make your name famous forever, and that he did as he continued to honor David long after David was gone. I could go on and on, but just look at a few. First Kings 11, 12, and 13, check this out. Notwithstanding, in thy days, I will not do it for David, thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend it away from the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for thy, David, my servant's sake. How about 1 Kings 15, 4? Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set his son up after him to establish Jerusalem. 2 Kings 19, 34. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my own, my servant David's sake. 2 Kings 20 and 6. And I will add unto thee 15 years. I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Could you imagine that hundreds of years after you're gone, that God is still talking to future generations about what he's doing in churches for my servant Jacob's sake, for my servant Pam's sake, for my servant James's sake, for my servant Emmanuel's sake, for my servant Melissa's sake, for my servant Lori's sake, for my servant Phoebe's sake. Could you imagine that hundreds of years after you're gone, God, you so moved God that he was saying, I'm still doing things today as a result of my relationship with this person from years and years ago. That's 
powerful. That is the kind of lineage that I want to leave behind. Not so that my name is famous, but so that, oh, I can't imagine that Refuge Church, that maybe God would still be doing something in liberty hundreds of years after I'm dead and gone just because of something that me and him had with one another. I want that. God knew David's heart and God honored David. Certainly, we would admit, David, there's a reason, there's a reason, Rachel, that he's one of the most preached about people. Because he's probably the most famous person. I mean, hundreds of years after, you're still talking about this guy. Imagine all the future leaders. Well, David didn't shut up. Well, David did. I don't care. And then God's reminding you about David. God's purpose was much greater than an ornate building and that would be torn down though. Just like God's purpose for our current campaign is much more than a beautiful facility sitting on I-35. We are not, look, I hope the building, I hope you love it. We've gone back and forth on designs. Just so you know, if you are a traditionalist looking for an A-frame building with a steeple, don't even, just let me go ahead and put that rest. It's not happening, okay? I'm sorry if that's you. It's not happening. But we're not looking to build the Taj Mahal pyramid so that people come from around and take pictures in front of it because the building's not about the brick and the stucco. It's about building a spiritual lineage. God made a covenant with David about kings in his lineage, and guess who one of those kings was? Scripture calls him Jesus, the son of David. One of the kings in his lineage, Jesus, the son of David. But guess what? People sometimes can get more consumed with the building than they can with the presence of God, and that's, that's when they miss it. Jesus, Jesus didn't turn eyes immediately like Solomon did, or like Solomon's temple. You know, that thing was beautiful, probably one of the most grand buildings built in that time. But Jesus steps on the scene, and people are like, who are you? Matter of fact, Scripture says they looked at him and said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? They looked at him and said, he didn't, Isaiah prophesies he didn't have comely or beautiful appearance. Then he preached unpopular messages like, turn the other cheek, and the greatest among you must be a servant. And they're looking at it like, who is this guy? And then talking about serving and dying, and they're like, this ain't what we're looking for. We're looking for something grand and beautiful, something that we can bring our friends to and say, look at this. Somebody that would be a strapping lad and good looking and would lead with great eloquence. Jesus, not so much. But in spite of all that, do you know one of the things that really, I mean, they really wanted to kill Jesus for this? There's a lot, but this was one major thing. John records it in John 2. It says, then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And Jesus answered and said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. <laughs> then said the Jews, what, 46 years was this temple in building, and you're going to rear it up in three days? And, and they just went nuts. John goes on and says he was speaking about his body. He was prophesying about how they would crucify him, and three days later he'd rise again. But they took it like he was saying, tear down the temple. 
and in three days. And now, you don't mess with our temple. There's been a few projects over the years that I've done here where I felt like people were like, you don't mess with our temple. We're good now. But When Jesus said he'd tear down the temple and build it up in three days, they freaked out. Because now they felt like he was messing with their temple, even though he was talking about his own body. Because people love the beautiful and ornate things that catch attention because the people get wrapped up in their building. We don't get wrapped up here. Until someone takes your seat. Somebody walks in. Who's the new person sitting in my chair? See, now you were, we threw a curveball at you. This is the first Sunday with these chairs, and you're walking in like, where do I sit? Is this? Which chair is mine? Like, if you haven't already, you're supposed to write your name on the bottom. I'm kidding, don't. <laughs> but see, God's more interested in the temple of our bodies than he is the temple our bodies gather in. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. For you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So when God's spirit, in the Old Testament, his spirit would come into that building, and there'd be a pillar of fire, a cloud. Now, hey, you go to the New Testament. Oh, my goodness, they received the Holy Ghost, and there's cloven tongues like as fire sat upon each of them in Acts chapter 2. What was that saying? I'm not gathering just in the building anymore. Now my temple is in you. God wants to put his spirit in you so you are his dwelling place, not just the building anymore. And this is why we're building a new building. Not because we want a huge building off the highway to wow people and to catch attention but simply because we want more space to preach a message of hope, healing, holiness, and the Holy Spirit. And God will fill people today with his spirit right in this building. You say, I want that. I don't know how it all works, but if God wants to dwell in this I want that. I'm telling you what, in just a few minutes, we'll open up this altar. Come up here. We will pray with you, and God will fill you with his spirit. But then God's going to do that at 10 a.m. He's going to do that at 2 p.m. He did it last night, and he's going to do it at the next building. And, and through all of it, he's calling his people to make disciples. And we not only make disciples of this generation, but as we invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into children and student ministry spaces in the next building. I have people, even pastors, they go, you picked an interesting time to build. I was like, just to make this clear, I did not pick this time to build. It's not like I came here 13 years ago and said, all right, here's the plan. Pandemic's hitting in 2020. I'm going to try and build right in the middle of it. And I think the growth, we'll have that growth happen kind of right there. And we'll just, we'll just build right there when material costs are higher than ever. That's, not, that's a good one. I can just imagine the board <laughs> at that point. They'd be like, you're a moron. Get out of here. They might still do that at times, but maybe not to my face. But 
No, 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 no. God started blessing, and he started providing, and all of a sudden, we're looking for land. I didn't want to build. I wanted to buy something existing. Larry can't find that liberty. We looked everywhere. We looked for years, and all of a sudden, we reached out to this church, and they have land, and they want a church, and we wanted land, and they wanted the building, and, and it worked out, and God just started working things out, and then I said, well, I don't know how we're going to pay for that, and then they said, well, you're only going to get about this much from a campaign, and we went way higher than they thought, and then I said, well, they said, it's still going to be more expensive. I said, well, I'll bring it to the people. We'll see what happens, and then you blew my mind. Mind, and you didn't blow God's mind because he spoke to you. He blew my mind. And I, I thought I had faith till that night. <laughs> and then you blew my mind with your response. And if you're here today and you say, man, I ain't been a part of this. I want to be a part of that. We still have pledge cards. Right. Yeah. I just like that in there. Why? Because it's going to be a stinky day when you walk into a brand new facility and God's changing lives and you say, man, I wish I'd have been a part of this. It's just going to be a lot more exciting when you say, man, I helped build this place. We invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into children and student ministry spaces in the next building. And we understand we're called to make disciples of the next generation. And here's the interesting part about this. They kept trying to tell me. They kept trying. They, as of two weeks ago, they were still trying, Pastor Chad. Well, if your youth have their youth services on Wednesday nights and your children's church have their services on Sundays, we can save you so much money by sharing that space. And I said, we can't share that space. The youth have to have their own space, and they have to have a place they gather. Even when they don't have a service, they're gathering for community throughout the week on Sundays, even if they don't have a service. And eventually, that youth space might be used on Sundays for Spanish services. That was Pastor Chad, by the way. I can't take credit for that. That's his vision. And so for us... We look at it like we got to make this happen, but you know, to do that, you're talking about, well, that is going to add hundreds of thousands of dollars to your project. And I'm like, yeah, but God didn't give us this. God never gives us a vision and then says, yeah, but I just don't know where we're going to get the money for it. And so we said, you know what, we're going to do it. But here's the interesting part. Many of you who have sacrificed so much outside of the initial tour you will probably never step foot in that youth space. Many of you will never go behind the secure check-in area into the children's ministry classrooms. You might not teach back there. You might not have kids back there. But yet you sacrifice so much to build something that will literally outlive you. Because the vision that God put on your heart in understanding that I'm not making just my disciple, me and my kids. But I want God to be doing something for the, my servant Lane's sake, for my servant Kirby's sake, for my servant Billy Joe's sake, for my servant Diana's sake. That long after I'm gone, that children are still crying and hugging teachers and learning lessons Maybe a hundred years after I've been put in a grave. But something that I invested in. That I paid for the bricks and the floor. 
that the word of God is still changing lives in. I want to be a part of that. You see, but just like David experienced, God will place things in your heart that you will instill in the next generation. You will help build a spiritual lineage. The Bible doesn't record God speaking to David about the temple. Apparently, that's, that's David's idea. But I have a question. Does Solomon build a temple if David doesn't share that passion with him? Probably not. If David was so passionate about this, Solomon grew up eating his Wheaties, hearing from his dad about how one day, oh, one day, I'm telling you one day. My poor kids could probably tell you more about building and layouts and land and construction than anybody in the church at this point because they have heard me talk and have meetings and vision and so much that they have learned about civil engineers and floor plans and CAD drawings. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, I was too. <laughs> but David invested heavily in his project. Even though it was no longer his project, he knew I'm not going to personally worship there, but his love for the people made him invest in their future. And look at First Chronicles 22, 8. It shed some light as to why God's decision was to not have David build. It says, but the Lord said to me, you have killed many men in battles you fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. Because his background in shedding blood in times of war was God's reason for choosing his son instead. God wanted a man of peace to construct a temple, not a man of war. And Isaiah 56 tells us his house was to be a house of prayer for all nations. You see, since David was forbidden from building the temple himself, he helped gather materials and prepare the plans for the temple's construction. And he said to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 22, he says, I've worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord. Nearly 4,000 tons of gold. That's quite the pledge. If anybody wants to see me afterward, I... 40,000 tons of silver and so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. I've also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need to add more. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons and carpenters and craftsmen of every kind. You have expert goldsmiths and silversmiths and workers of bronze and iron. Now begin the work and may the Lord be with you. Even though it appears in scripture, David never got to see the finished product. Can you imagine bringing that much? All the gold, and I, I, that, we can't wait that there's so much. Here's the silver, 40,000 tons, 4,000 tons of gold, and I got this, and I got that, and you might need more of this, but I've done everything I can. Now go do what God's called you to do, even though I'm never going to get to see the finished product. I'm not going to be at the building dedication, but I'm going to invest so heavily in it because I know my lineage is going to, Jesus, he told me, God told me, my lineage is going to live on, and, and I just, I want to be a part of this. Because David remembered it was purpose over project. When we get lost in the project and forget the purpose, 
It's easy to do when there's meetings. And look at the blueprint, and then we can get lost in the blueprint. Well, now, how wide is that hallway now? Hang on, are we going to have enough space for this? Now, what is that sound area? What's the guest relation? What's the bathroom over here? Now, now that's a long way to walk. And what about the next step? And we can get lost in all of it. I personally don't like gray. Well, I like tan. I don't like the roof line. I like it. We can get lost in it. I don't want to get lost in the project and forget the purpose. We lose sight of what God's ultimately looking to accomplish. And God's words to David ring loudly in my ears right now. In 1 Chronicles 17, he says, I've never lived in a house. And he's talking about this. And he ends in verse 8. If you go to verse 8, he says, I, David, I have been with you wherever you have gone. Where we go? Can we go down to verse? Yeah, right there. I have been with you. Wherever you've gone. When the Israelites pitched their tents around the mobile tabernacle, God met with them in the pillar of fire and the cloud. When they stopped and they built the golden calf, God was like, "Uh uh-uh. When Noah and his family built an ark, God delivered the family and changed the nation. When Solomon finally dedicated this temple that God called them to build, the power of God was so strong that people couldn't even stand in the dedication service. Why? Because when, when the people of God said, I want to prioritize God, he met them there and he did not meet them there because he said, yeah, I'm not meeting there. That's an ugly building. He met with somebody on a boat. He met with somebody in an ark. He met with somebody in a temple. It does not matter the location. We can build whatever we want and God's going to be there. In 2 Chronicles 5, I'm not going to be much longer. So Solomon finished all of his work on the temple of the Lord. Here it is. He's done. He brought all the gifts of his father, David. Had dedicated, David's not there to do it himself, apparently. And so he brings these gifts, the silver, the gold, the various articles, and he stored them in the treasuries of the temple of God. Solomon then summoned to Jerusalem. Can you imagine? I can't wait till we get to this point. And we're probably going to be more excited as we go on here over the next two years. It's done. It's done. Call everybody together. It's done. Solomon summoned Jerusalem, the elders and the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral families of Israel. They were to bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. Remember, this is the place where God would dwell between between the wings of the cherubims. And and he would meet with his people and he'd meet with the high priest. And that was in the holiest of holies in the tabernacle. So now it's time because the building's done, but we're still missing something. What is a building without the Spirit of God? It's not about the building. Now is the time to go get the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to the temple from its location in the city of David, also known as Zion. At this point, nothing happened. There's nobody like praying, oh, great. We got a, we got a grand building. This thing is beautiful. No doubt people are already taking pictures on the iPhones because that was a godly thing back then. And they would take pictures. They're posting pictures to Facebook. Instagram, future construction agents, they were, they were tagging stuff on Pinterest, adding it to their booklets or whatever. But that's all it is. It was just a gorgeous facility. It was just a beautiful building. Like the pyramids or Eiffel Tower. You just take some pictures in front of it. 
But then 2 Chronicles 5, 7, it says, Then the priests carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary, the most holy place, and placed it between the wings of the cherubim. Now you got the beautiful building. And in comes the ark where God's presence and spirit dwells. And now it's in the building. Now something special. But was it at that moment that all of a sudden the, whoa, the power of God struck it. Wow, lives were changed because God's spirit. That's where you expect me to end the message. God's spirit was now in the house of the Lord. And it was complete. The altars are open. We need God's spirit in our new building. Praise God. No, nothing still happened. You got this beautiful building. We got the spirit of God in the beautiful building. What else do we need? That's it. I mean, that's it. But there was still something missing. And that thing was worship. Verse 11, the priests left the holy place. All the priests who were present, they purified themselves whether or not they were on duty that day. The Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jedithan, their sons and brothers were dressed in fine linen robes at the east side of the altar, playing cymbals and lyres and lyres and, and harps. And they were joined by 120 priests who were playing church. Can, can you just stop right now? Can you, can you imagine this? Trained musicians who have trained years for this very moment. This isn't like annoying trumpets. You know, like a little child practicing for band on their first day, okay? This is trained professionals that have done this just for this very moment. The ark is now in there. The people are starting to gather. And 120 trumpets and all these musicians start making music before the Lord. I mean, can you, can you imagine this? The trumpeters and the singers performed together in unison to praise, and to give thanks to the Lord. You don't get in unison by just showing up one day and saying, oh, I don't want to be on the praise team. That's hard work to sing parts and to do. Well, we don't need to be so professional. Really tell them that because I guarantee you for years they had been preparing for this moment. 120 in unison, all the singers, all the musicians, giving thanks to the Lord, and accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and other instruments. They raise their voices. I think church should be a somber place where we sit around, and I think that we need to reverence God. Show me somewhere in Scripture where they would gather in holy places and sit with their arms crossed like this and bow ahead and not... He says, praise me on the high-sounding cymbals. Praise me on the stringed instruments. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. He says, they, they raised their hands. They, they sang. They shouted. It says, they raised their voices. They praised the Lord with these words. They said, he is good. He is faithful. His faithful love endures forever. And at that moment, 
moment. It was not when they finished the last brick, when they finished painting, when they got the job site cleaned up, when they cleaned up the rest of the last pieces of nails, when they got the all the, no, it was not that. It was not even when, oh, when the Ark of the Covenant came in and the Spirit of God entered the building for the first time. It was not that either. But it was when those things were present and then the people of God said, it is now time to join in unity and to begin to lift up our voices and to begin to raise our hands and to begin to cry out to the God of heaven. And scripture says it was at that moment that a thick cloud began to fill the temple. Could you imagine this? Why don't you stand to your feet and imagine as you're worshiping right now, just a thick cloud beginning to fill the temple. You'd almost be scared of it, but as you begin to say, he's faithful, his love endures forever, and God begins to receive the praise of his people, and it says that it was at that moment that the cloud entered in verse 4. 14 says, the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. You wonder sometimes if you've ever been in a Pentecostal service and someone's playing a guitar and tears are streaming down their cheeks or a singer's up here and they start dancing and before you know it, they set their mic down and they go running down an aisle and you're a guest, you might think, that person just done lost their mind. No, that would happen there in the Old Testament that these priests, these people who were singing and playing keys and playing strings and, and smashing cymbals and they were blowing trumpets. It got to the place where the power of God was so strong they couldn't continue in their ministry. They just, they saw the cloud. They knew what was happening when they connected it to the what was going on in the Old Testament. They saw the cloud and the cloud was now in the temple. That meant God is here. God is here. God is among us. And I'm telling you something today. God is among us right now. He has responded to the praise of his people this morning. He's responded to your praise. And the building was beautiful back then. This building's beautiful. The next building is going to be beautiful. But we needed not only the presence of God, but even a building with the presence of God does not result in divine and supernatural visitation. until the people of God gather in the presence of God and offer unified worship to God. You see, I close with this. The project was building the temple. The purpose was for God to be worshiped and for there to be a divine visitation among his people. We did not gather today. Did you hear a good song? They did a good job. Those are some pretty lights. Those dads are nice lights. That preacher got a little excited, did he? That was interesting. He had a little vein popping out of his forehead. That's not the purpose. The purpose was for God to step into this place, for a cloud of glory to fill this place, and for you to feel what you're feeling and what you have felt today. 
Our project is a 17,000 plus square foot facility on just over seven acres off of I-35. But our purpose is to create a place for people to join in unison and worship the King of Kings as he fills his precious people with his spirit and washes away their sins. The project is important, but it's worthless if we ever lose sight of the purpose. And I want to tell you now, no matter who you are, where you are, you might have think that you walked in this place simply because you found us on Google, or you stumbled across this just because it was on Facebook and you thought, who's that? What's going on there? God is not a God of accidents. You are here. You're watching online. You're, you're maybe listening to, to this later. You're here in person because God's here to tell you, like he told David, I have been with you wherever you have gone. And so whatever's going on in your life, I'm getting ready to open this altar. I challenge you to step out of that pew, to come to this place and say, God, I don't want to just go to a temple. I want to be the temple. I don't want to just attend church. I want to see the glory. I don't want to just sing a song. I want to sing with unison to where angels take note. To where the God of heaven says I got to stop everything and I got to step into that place where those people are. They, they built that facility for this very purpose on this very day. Sure, we're not in our next building yet, but this building was built more than 40 years ago for this exact moment where people would come to an altar, bow a knee, raise a hand, begin in unison to raise their voice and worship a God who's getting ready to respond right now in this moment, in this place. I challenge you, I invite you right now to come and to begin to find a place to pray, to begin to find a place to raise your voice to Him in unison, to worship Him for who He is, for His worth, for His value in your life. God, we're in the middle of a project, but I don't want to lose sight of the purpose. He was the Lord. 